0: Does that matter podcast i'm your host john harris just have a few things i wanted to discuss pertaining to evangelicalism specifically today one of them actually is encouraging and if i have an opportunity to share something encouraging with you i definitely want to do it it encouraged me and i am um, looking forward to sharing and in fact i'll make that the end i'll make that the thing we land the plane on so that uh you have a good taste in your mouth when uh you go about your daily life after listening to this and um And so anyway, I'm looking forward to getting to that. But there's just a a few things that um, I've wanted to address. I've been doing some traveling. I've also um, just haven't had uh, the time to devote. There's a lot of different things I'm trying to devote my time to. And it's hard to sometimes figure out uh, what the best use of that time is. But um, I wanted to... um, I wanted to, to, to... so one of the things I, I'm going to talk about today, I wanted to let some time pass and give myself the opportunity to look into it a little more, uh, and that's the situation with J.D. Hall. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, for those who don't know, I'll, I'll explain a little more. I'll give you um, a little bit of, about what's going on there. And then I also uh, want to just follow up on this whole issue of the, the SBC's Me Too moment, uh, this article that Megan Basham wrote, but now... It's an article that is. I mean, it's it's become so much more than an article by Megan Basham in the Daily Wire. It is now the whole debate over this has gone into things like whether or not David uh, raped Bathsheba, uh, and and there's so many moving parts. There there's some audio uh, from Jennifer Lyell that's been revealed, and that audio seems to not be quite perhaps consistent with other things Jennifer Lyle has said, or at least there's inconsistencies uh, that people are noticing. And so th- there's just a whole lot of stuff going on. And now I find out that there's a documentary being made, apparently, uh, with uh, Rachel Denhollander, Al Moeller, I-, I think Jennifer Lyle is in it as well. And and so this is just awkward for them to have this debate happening right in front of them as, as to whether or not there was corroboration. Really, that's what the debate's about, was their corroboration in the guidepost report that the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee um, hired, they hired guidepost uh, to, to do this report, and this is what they've essentially accepted. The convention's accepted this report, which has led then to some recommendations, and those recommendations we've talked about before seem to be... Um, seem to be recommendations that have the potential to change the very character of the Southern Baptist Convention and in some uh, somewhat alarming ways. And the God Post report, though, what some one of the, the big stories in it was this Jennifer Lyell case. And uh, it turns out there's a documentary which is involving this, which is supposed to, I, I presuming from the trailer, it's supposed to be against abuse. And uh, it's showing Rachel Den Hollander, Al Mohler, and um Jennifer Lyle in this favorable light as, as if they're supporting uh Jennifer Lyle as a victim the other two and that they're and, and then her story's legitimate and corroborated and, and they're sure of this that that's the impression I get at least from looking at the trailer but now that is all up in the air that's in that's being called into question and so Megan Basham kind of threw a, a, a wrench in their gear system and the reactions uh have been interesting, and so I've covered some of this, but I just wanted to do a little bit of a follow up, just because I, I knew some things would be rising to the surface, uh, and and even probably still are. I think this is still developing. This conversation is going to continue to some extent, but uh, wanted to just show you uh, some things. Number one, uh, I do have a resource out there from October eighth of two thousand nineteen, if you can believe it, on this whole issue of whether or not David raped Bathsheba, because actually that's the first time. This was a big kerfuffle. That's the first time this became an issue when Rachel Den Denhollander uh, corrected someone on Twitter, I forget who it was, and said that David raped Bathsheba and it created this whole uh, uproar. And I did a, a full treatment of that and uh, demonstrated or showed that in um, if, if you go to 2 Samuel 13, you actually have, there's a word used, a Hebrew word that would be more consistent with what we would think of today as a rape. And you don't find that word, in, and this is just one of the pieces of uh, evidence that I cite. But we don't find that word in the uh, the account of David and Bathsheba, and it's the same word used in Deuteronomy 22 um, when it it it's actually translated in the New American Standard Bible as forces. So that you you get the sense in in which there's there's a rape. There's there's not. Um, there's, there's not a willful choice on the part of of the woman in this situation. It's, it is, uh, it is forced and it, it, and that's, it's the same word. And, um, but in the same account, just chapters before you don't see, uh, in second Samuel that word being used and attributed to David's relationship with Bathsheba. And so, um, anyways, I, I make the case that at the very least you can't, um, you can't be sure that this is a rape. And if anything, the evidence seems to point in the other direction. But you can go watch that if you want. It's called King David, a Rapist, question mark, and confirmed crew endorses social gospel. So I I used to have these bigger podcasts. Uh, Some of my podcasts are this long, I mean, well over an hour, and I would take on multiple issues. And I've shortened the time actually a little bit. For those who think that I'm going long, I actually have shortened it. But uh, you can go see a fuller treatment there if you want. Now, Um, In this, this isn't necessarily directly related, but in this whole situation of the debates in the Southern Baptist Convention over um, abuse or alleged abuse, we have Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I went, coming out with a statement about uh, their mandatory sexual abuse prevention and response course. And so this is a mandatory course. It uh, looks like all students are going to be required to take this which is interesting to me um and i don't know the motivation 100 percent. i can guess at it i have a suspicion uh, that there's a lot of uh, emphasis on this particular topic and wanting to show that we really care we really are taking this seriously and uh, this is the compassionate place to go to school um, that it seems like that would be consistent with everything else we're seeing. Um, there could be legal things though, liability thing. There could be a whole host of things. I don't know, maybe their insurance company is going to give some kind of a discount too, or so, I don't know, but they're, they're launching this. And so I was reading through this statement and, you know, I was thinking through a, a lot of churches are doing this too. A lot of, uh, a lot of places are doing this and, and I don't think it's wrong. And I'm not, you know, attacking Southeastern for, uh, offering a course like this, making it mandatory seems odd to me, but, uh, having a course like this, um, even that is, is you know, for someone going to get a, a pastoral degree, you'd think you'd cover this in counseling. So that's the only little, I guess, critique I'd have is like, wh- why not, why isn't this covered in a counseling class of some kind? Why, if the Bible is a final authority, if that's what you're training people to do, if it's pastoral counseling, this isn't psychology, you know, why, why have a separate course uh, that's what's in the course, that would be my question, was what's in the course that would make it different from, let's say, a, a biblical counseling class in which you would approach these issues? So, uh, that question's out there, and I don't know what the answer is, because there's just not a lot of information here, but I, I was reading through it, knowing that, you know, a lot of places are taking these precautions, cameras are being installed, churches are, security teams are forming, you have, um, for a child, uh, I know with the church I go to, if you, if you want to work with children, that's a, there's a course you need to take, and um, it's, it's wise in the litigious society that we live in. And let's face it, also the society we live in that uh, has a lot of uh, predators, uh, depending on where you live. And if you live close to a metropolitan area, especially, it doesn't have to be, it could be way out in the country too, but if you, if, especially if you live in, in certain areas where there's a lot of crime and stuff, and you can look on the sexual uh, predator list online and see how many houses around you have people who have been convicted, you might wanna implement that. And it, it makes sense, it's wise. For for staff workers, um, this is a little different. This is for students. This is mandatory, but um, but you know I can understand the uptick in interest in in doing taking some preventative measures. Now, as I was reading this though, um, so so I was looking through it, and, and there's a lot of talk about this is part of the Great Commission somehow. This is about you know we can't almost the implication seems to be we're not really loving our neighbors and practicing the Great Commission if we don't do this. So, okay, I'm kind of like, yeah, all right, well, you know, whatever. (laughs) That's, I I mean, there's, you could really make a case that so many different things would fit into that mold. Um, The question in my mind is curriculum for specifically pastors, when you have a limited amount of time to get them through the three years of seminary, to train them, what is it that you want them to know and focus on? And I, I know when I was there, the curriculum changed to the point that they had dropped a theology course they had dropped hermeneutics as a requirement they were inserting what I would call at the time I did call them uh, fluff courses uh just courses that um, that were you know like like leadership development pastoral uh, leadership type stuff it you know how do, how do you make your church I mean discussions would be like how do we make our church more diverse how do we um we should pray praying's good and it's like well yeah it is but I'm paying a lot of money to come here for seminary like I knew praying was good when I was in you know youth group at my church but why am I here why I want to learn the languages right I want to learn and theology I want to learn church history and and so much of that stuff is being dumbed down it just is uh since even I started in in 2014 or even before that when I was at master's in, in 2011 it's just the curriculums have been changing. I've seen it at Liberty University, uh, in their, their seminary. It's just, um, I mean, it's weird to me that you can get an MDiv without even languages. So, so here, here's the thing that I'm thinking though, like, this is so important. We can't really be people of the great commission without implementing this curriculum, but yet we're taking out hermeneutics as a requirement. Like, that's the weird thing to me. It just, it shows to me where the emphasis lies. And and I'm not, Again, not castigating them or against having a course like this or uh, have, taking some um, some implementing some training, but this is a, a lot of training to have a course. And I don't know how many credits it is. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a one credit course, or so. maybe it's a weekend thing. I doubt it, but maybe it, maybe that's all it is. But um, so as I was reading this, these are the questions that are popping in my head, and I'm seeing I'm seeing emphasis shifting, and that's really what intrigues me about this is. Uh, what courses are going to be taken out, and what is the uh, what's the menu now? What's the curriculum? What kinds of things are can you expect a pastor coming out of Southeastern to have uh, to, to to know? And of course, they're going to have some theology. Of course, they're going to have uh, some some. Well, I don't know if they'll have hermeneutics if, unless they want it. But of course, they'll they'll have some good core things. But it's the uh, there seems to be in my mind a reduction of what we would consider the core curriculum for pastors and inserting these other things that are now you know so important uh to uh and it's the not just social justice minded people depending on what they put in their curriculum it could be that but uh, but it's it's just the emphasis of our of our modern day uh what kinds of things are um are popular today are important today or seen as priorities today, not just in the church, but in in the world as a whole and in, in the in the culture, in the world. Those are the things that um, perhaps are getting more influence. And, and I know, you know, they implemented, I think, right after I left, if I'm not mistaken, for their undergrad is basically a social justice degree. Uh, and it was you know, taking courses in environmentalism, essentially, and race relations and the, all that kind of thing. So it's it's a shift. So it's not Condemning all this is uh, these particular courses are all evil or bad. Um, some of them, the the material in them, maybe I'm not saying that, that it's not, but it's not, But the the big thing to me is what's the shift? What's the emphasis? Uh, and the emphasis is shifting. It's like when I read uh, David Wells' book, and he's talking about Christianity today, um, the magazine. The the book is uh, No Place for Truth, and he talks about the emphasis shifting. From a lot of very biblically driven articles to the percentage just keeps going down every year uh, from the time it started to now we're, we're talking about pop culture. Is that wrong to talk about pop culture? Is it wrong for Christians to analyze it? No, of course not. But what does that say about the readership and the leadership at Christianity today? And that's the same question I'm asking here. What does it say? Where, where's the emphasis? So, one of the things I did note um, so, there, you're going to have some uh, lawyers, I guess, involved in this uh, process as well as uh it's interesting to be contributors from danny aiken and keith whitfield keith whitfield what you know his involvement in that whole tom and jennifer buck situation with uh that that draft of jennifer buck and which anyway not getting all that detail but we've talked about it a little bit before it's just interesting these are the people that are designing the course <laughs> these who have this issue it's just weird why why them um they they wouldn't, wouldn't Keith Whitfield wouldn't be the first person in my mind to design a curriculum on survivors and sexual abuse and all that, given his role in that situation. But uh, you have others that are not. Um, well, you have a professor of biblical counseling, uh, and then they have uh, Samantha Kilpatrick, attorney in the Kilpatrick Law Group, an instructor at Meredith College of Paralegal Programs. So they have some people from outside. I'm assuming Christians, of course, uh, coming in. And one of the things is what Kilpatrick said. This. Is Stood out to me right away. Studies show that one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused by their 18th birthday. And uh, Sherrod Kilpatrick, who serves as an active member, uh, this person's an active member of Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Churches and ministries are not immune, but often can be more at risk due to lack of awareness and inconsistent prevention policy and practice. Unless we understand uh, the prevalence and dynamics of sexual abuse, we are not well equipped to implement uh, prevention policy nor are we able to respond well in christ honoring and trauma-informed manner a trauma-informed manner that to me that word stands out what does that mean a trauma-informed manner is this standpoint theory is it what are we, where are we going is this like the caring well stuff where pastors are going to be dictated to by uh quote unquote survivors when we have a book that has given us a direction on what to do uh, concerning abuse it's not that you shouldn't listen to survivors. It's just that where do they have, where's the final authority in all this? Uh, Is it, is it people who have um, understanding of the word of God? Is that where wisdom resides with, with, because the final authority is the word of God and people who have applied that over the course of years um, in counseling situations, you know, are, are going to be the best equipped to handle it? Or is it, is it going to be sort of, quote unquote, people who have had an experience of being victimized? They're the ones that are going to dictate more what policy should be. That's the question I have. And I don't know. And little things like that stand out to me. The other thing that stood out to me, though, is the, uh, the statistic that the impression that's given by the statistic that's quoted here. And this is on Southeastern's website, uh, one in four girls. So I, I looked that up and I only spent a few minutes because I just went, I'm like, where is this coming from? There's no citation here. There's no uh, footnote I could check. And what I kept getting was a a study from Nigeria that said one in four girls in a particular city in Nigeria, and I'm I'm thinking that's the only study that I'm that's coming across my when I, when I do a search. Um, so I, I looked up and this was before the 18th birthday. So I I broadened it. Okay, just one in four girls, and then I saw there is a whole on the Huffington Post, mind you. Huffington Post was progressive. Uh, just in my mind, just completely like, I don't know, uh, just, just an outlet I wouldn't trust, generally speaking, because of their super progressive slant. And, I mean, if, if, if you read the Huffington Post, then it, it says something about you in my mind. It says you're you're not um, unless you're reading it just to see what the other side thinks. You're you're not reading an actual news website, and you're not reading a website that's going to give you uh, what actually happened. But even the Huffington Post had a whole article debunking this idea that one in four or one in five girls uh, are sexually abused, and basically makes the point that it depends where you are, and the studies that have been done have failed. They, they, they're actually the whole idea behind these studies, the premise behind them is not scientific it's it's in like online polls and things where you have like 19 percent people of people respond and of those 19 percent you know those are the people that probably you know could possibly be more likely to uh, have been abused that are reporting that they've had to be so it's it's just very hard to come up with these numbers but Uh, the person who's behind part of this curriculum is just very sure that it's that's what studies show and very sure that you know churches i mean it's like it's panic it's alarm button churches and ministries are uh are more at risk you know here's this statistic and then churches are even it's even worse it's yes does abuse happen do do, our predators in churches sure they are they're everywhere is it to this extent and that's the whole vibe we're getting from the sbc that it's red alert emergency all of a sudden out of the blue this is abnormal this shouldn't happen this is we've never seen anything like it it is uh, it just characterizes and it's definitional of the whole denomination and therefore we got to change our whole mdiv program around to have a course on this and you know if we got to take out something else who knows what they took out to put this in but generally that's what has to happen you you insert a course you're going to take out another course uh And and so we got to do it, though. I mean, that's part of if we don't do it, do we really care about victims? Right. Let's cite some stats that are questionable and then make it just surmise that it's even worse in the church to just ring that alarm bell even more. That's what I see happening. It is uh, a knee jerk reaction. It's just it's it's don't stop and think about this. Let's not actually crunch numbers and, and like what Megan Basham did in her article showing that, you know what, there's really not, if anything, the Southern Baptist Convention is uh, better than a lot of organizations of similar size as far as the percentage of predators that inhabit the staff of that organization from what we know. that No no one's doing that. They're not stopping to crunch numbers and think through things. It's just react. And and what I'm seeing in the Twitter arg- arguments is if you don't react, if you don't believe victims or women or survivors, you don't care. If you have any questions, you don't care. If you want clarification, it's like you don't care. You're on the side of the oppressors. And that is, uh, this is just another, in my mind, um, example of how social justice is making its way into the convention. Now, um, interestingly, I didn't notice this at first. Someone pointed it out, though. Eric Geiger, who used to be... um, Jennifer Lyell's uh, boss at Lifeway, uh, or supervisor. Um, I, I had mentioned this when I was going over Megan Basham's article and the attack on it. And Eric Geiger um, basically said Megan, it implied Megan wasn't being accurate. Uh, Megan didn't even quote from his statement, but he posts his statement or posts his what, what he believes. Here's the important thing. He posts his impression of Jennifer Lyle's accusations. And he says, this is the interesting part. He went to David Sill's wife and David Sill's wife reinforced all that Jennifer Lyle had shared with me, including text messages with a threatening tone and indication she had known uh, of the sexual encounters, et cetera. Now, there's some now question about this. Did David Sill's wife, he, was, was David Sill's wife just aware of these encounters? Well, th- this is just put out there. Megan Basham doesn't put this out there. Uh, it's just put out there. And now that this is put out there, um, here's the here, here's the even more interesting part to me. The president of the Southern Baptist Convention does this. Bart Barber retweets. So Jennifer Lyle, who's since then now deleted her Twitter account, she points to this. And it, the, if there's any new information, it's that, hey, look, David Sill's wife, David Sills being the one that Jennifer Lyle is accusing of abusing her. His wife knew about that relationship, and it's all confirmed. And Bar- Barbara, the president of the Southern Baptist Conventions, retweets this. Well, if David Sills' wife doesn't believe this or agree with this, then it, it's kind of, it, it's, a, uh, it, it's an accusation against her. She was somehow, I mean, she would be complicit, wouldn't she, if she knew about this and she didn't do anything? This is now bringing it into a whole new realm in which it wasn't before. And the president of the Southern Baptist Convention irresponsibly retweets this. And I simply cannot understand why there are prominent conservatives in the Southern Baptist Convention who think that Bart Barber is a step in the right direction or should have run and it's it's not terrible that he's in the position he's in. And I don't get it. I mean, I don't even think... I don't even think the previous presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention would do this. I don't think Ed Litton would do this. But th- this is just, th- this is shooting from the hip. This this is unpredictable behavior. <laughs> and uh, why even enter that fray? But we have the president of the Southern Baptist Convention entering that. And uh, this opens them up to things, possibly. I'm not saying there's something going on. I, I'm, I don't know. But this could open them up to things when you have... Uh, statements being supported by the president of the Southern Baptist Convention against the wife of an accused abuser, that she somehow knew about this. Uh, dangerous stuff. So uh, that is um, something I just wanted to point out. And here's probably the most significant thing that's happened in the last few days uh, July 14th, I Don't Know What to Believe Anymore, by Ron Hensel. Ron Hensel was one of the individuals on a. Um, a call, an interview, kind of a call though with Jennifer Lyell, and this call was from uh, 2021, last year, where Jennifer Lyell essentially, um, it's like two and a half hours. I listened to it, and and I just at the end I just saw a lot of there's a lot of yellow and red flags in my mind about her story, but Ron Henzel, um says in this interview that I believed her. I believed her, and it, and it came out that Jennifer, this audio uh, came out, and Ron Hensel is saying, he basically says that, look, Jennifer Lyell was messaging Tom Buck, and she has screenshots here, private messages, totally misrepresenting that particular call, and accusing Tom Askell of using Ron Hensel and this uh, Midwest Christian outreach, and just... Um, he he says there's five lies and offering to Tom Buck that she could back up her assertions against Tom Askell and against them by, with the recording, with this recording, willing, she's willing to share this recording, uh, to back up her assertions. Well, this has provoked Ron Henzel from Midwest Outreach to basically say, look, I said, I believed her and she was the only witness. There weren't two or three witnesses. And he goes, I don't know what to believe now. Um, he says, uh, uh, he, he believes that she's a sister in Christ. He believes, you know, that, uh, uh, God in his providence has brought all these things I described to pass, not for her condemnation. I believe I cannot say that just because I've concluded that Jennifer Lyle has misrepresented me. Uh, Don uh, Veneau, who was an, another individual on that particular phone call and interview, and Tom Askell. It necessarily means she misrepresented what took place between her and David Sills. Nevertheless, he says, I believe that the events I described have exposed my own need for reproof and correction from God's word, as well as public confession and repentance. And to this, I'm, I'm just uh, grateful uh, in a way. Even though I don't know him, I just think there needs to be more of this. When we make an error, and, and I've made errors before on this podcast, none of us are beyond making a mistake. We confess it. We publicly do so if it's a public uh, offense. And, um, and since this recording has made its way into the public and people kind of know about it, he's, he's just saying, look, I, I should have said something. I should have done something. And, uh, or or, or what, what he's actually, he doesn't really say. I, I don't know if he says I should have done something. But he says that, uh, um, he says, when I saw Jennifer Lyle's text to Tom Buck, the Lord, re- the Lord rebuked me. I don't know whether she made the same statements to anyone else, but if she did, and if those people believed her, they were believing her charges against me on the evidence of one witness alone. Contemplating that possibility does not leave me with a pleasant feeling. So he's just realizing what he, he believed Jennifer Lyell on one witness. And he says, well, if someone were to believe what she said about me on one witness, then that would, he would be upset. And he realized the hypocrisy and that's so good on him for just coming forward and just saying, look, I, I goofed on this. Um, and it's, uh, it's just very telling to me. And this is not for, for this whole case that guidepost is reporting on that Jennifer Lyle is, is an example of abuse in the Southern Baptist convention. David Sills is an abuser, not alleged, an abuser that it was corroborated. The whole thing's coming apart. There wasn't corroboration that can be demonstrated. Uh, there, um, and, and now there's other things That Jennifer Lyell is being caught in. Uh, I mean, this is not only is it the recording now that that raises a lot of questions, but it's now a number of other things. Uh, It's it's uh, it's what how she represented that particular recording to someone else. So I wanted to let you know about that Uh, that's going on. And and I just thank God that the truth is is coming out. I think that's excellent. So I think we need to pray for Jennifer Lyell in this situation. it sounds to me from what I listened to on that two and a half hour recording that she's got some issues. Uh, she, she's kind of all over the place and there seems to be some at least emotional issues. And, and it sounds like and it's very possible that she has had some abuse, whether that was uh, David Sills or the abuse she talks about before that. Um, I think um, she needs to repent, though. She needs to repent of misrepresenting these guys who are on the call with her that, you know, as if they were doing a hit piece against her and Tom Askell was the one behind it somehow. And none, none of that uh, is true when you actually listen to none of her descriptions of the phone call seem to be accurate when you actually listen to it or, or the Zoom call, whatever it was. And and so th- there's certainly a problem here with the truth. And Jennifer Lyle needs to repent of that. And um, and the SBC uh, elites who have platformed Jennifer Lyle and said that David Sills is an abuser, not just an alleged abuser, but is an abuser on the basis of of one witness without a corroboration. Uh, those Southern Baptists who who have done this need to repent as well. And so, um, so anyway, that's that's kind of. But I, but I do have compassion. I do, even though I, I can see all the the damage that's been done here. I still see you know Jennifer Lyell and as someone who, um, who who does need some help. And uh, I, I pray that the Lord. Um, that that help comes and the Lord directs that. Uh, I want to get to uh, something at the end here that's going to be encouraging. But before I do, uh, I want to talk about this J.D. Hall situation for those who uh, don't know about it and and those who do. Um, It's been now, I guess, I don't know, almost, well, it's about, I think, uh, two months since J.D. Hall was arrested. And it was, um, at first, it looked like it was a DUI that was, perhaps alcohol, and a lot of people were jumping the gun and saying it was. It doesn't appear to be at this point. It appears to be an addiction to Xanax, a prescription drug addiction. And that's really the only thing I've been able to confirm, is there's other allegations out there uh, about J.D. Hall uh, doing other things that are, some of them, pretty awful. uh, But I can't really confirm um, anything past that seems to be the one thing that it is has been consistent, at least with uh, the church and um, folks at Protestia and uh, that the folks closer to the situation, that, that there was, in fact, a uh, an addiction there. And I don't know for how long that addiction was there. I know J.D. Hall said when he was on uh, this podcast uh, last year, I guess, that he had this issue uh, with a vitamin D deficiency. And I have no reason to doubt that, uh, that there are, there are symptoms that seem to mirror alcoholism. So I don't know if that played a part in it. I thought that that was corrected. He seemed to indicate it was. I don't know if that was, there was a temporary correction and then uh, it got worse or if this was purely Xanax or what it was. But um, the, the bottom line for me at this point is that this situation is within the jurisdiction of the local church. And they are in a church discipline process now. And that's made me a little hesitant to want to jump in and make very clear statements. I can make some clear statements. I can say it is wrong to be addicted to medication, uh, whether that's alcohol or prescription medication or doesn't, illegal drugs. It, it, it's all, in my mind, biblically, uh, anything that's going to take your mind from you. Uh, it's not for medicinal purposes, but it's anything that, that you become mastered by uh, is is wrong. It's sinful. And uh, so, I mean, I think we can all very clearly see that. Uh, I'm hoping and I would think and I would assume J.D. Hall would see that as well. And and so, um, I, as far as I understand, he's in a process with the church dealing with this right now. And if there's other issues, I'm sure that that's being dealt with. Uh, the elders at the church they've made a statement they seem to be um, they, they seem to be able to uh, stand up to JD Hall or, or that maybe that's not the right way to phrase it they, they seem to be able to um, to see the issues with JD hall he's, he's not controlling them it seems it seems like they're very much separate from him I'm sure what they're doing is not in the public eye at least to his advantage and they're doing it anyway so um, without knowing anyone in the church, without knowing the specifics of the situation, uh, I don't really have a lot more to say about the specific situation. Uh, I've, I've looked, I I have read some of what the officer reported. It seems like there was some erratic or uh, confusing behavior that he exhibited things like not remembering if he had a gun on him, that kind of thing. So there's clearly something is wrong there and we should be praying for JD Hall. And, uh, we should be praying for wisdom, obviously, for the, the elders that are involved at his church in this, um, and and then obviously uh, for public repentance, uh, depending on what the issue is, if there's been a public sin. Knowing J.D. Hall, and, and this is one of the other reasons that I'm, I've waited a little bit, knowing J.D. Hall, he tends to weigh in on things, and so I thought maybe he would weigh in on this, but what seems to have happened is he's deleted his social media accounts, and I've heard second or third hand that he's been in counseling. And uh, that if that's what's taking place, that might be the best thing for him, to be honest with you, to be out of the public eye and to be uh, in that process. So my hope and my, um, my, uh, my assumption is that there is a process of repentance going on, but I don't know 100% exactly what's going on. I am not privy to that information and from what I understand, J.D. Hall's phone number has changed, or at least he's not taking calls and texts like he was. And he's, he's kind of shut out to the outside, to the public eye right now. And that's the way that, uh, that he wants it. And um, I don't think it's just him. I think that's the way that's the people around him want it right now, too. So the bigger implication here, I think what's, what's going on in a larger context is what does this all mean? You know, whether it was just the misuse of uh, abuse of prescription drugs or whether it was past this and it was uh, it was other accusations that have been made against him. Um, What does this mean for, uh, quote unquote, the pejorative, I guess now, but discernment ministries? What does this mean for uh, protestia? What does this mean for people who question the SBC and evangelical elites? Are they all just J.D. Hall? And that's, I think, the conclusion that a lot of people online who really didn't like what J.D. Hall was doing want you to draw. And I'm going to share something that I haven't really shared before, I don't believe, on this podcast uh, concerning J.D. Hall. And I just, I for me, I, I want you to understand kind of how I have approached J.D. Hall, because I I think, I'm not perfect person, but I, I do think that this is helpful way to, to approach it. And I'll just let you in on some of the information that I have on him. Um, when I first, the only way I really knew about JD Hall was because I listened to the dividing line, like all the time, like every dividing line that would come out, uh, for a while, this was going back. I mean, I'm trying to think when James White used to talk about JD Hall, when he started talking about JD Hall 10 years ago or more, I don't know, but, but I would for, for a period of years, at least, that's the only really rough frame of reference I had for J.D. Hall was I would listen to what James White said about J.D. Hall. And and there were certainly some things that J.D. Hall did that I just thought, why in the world would you do this? Why would you say this? Aren't there bigger fish to fry out there? Why is this so important? And some of these uh, turf wars between different ministries, and let's face it, smaller ministries, really. I mean, we're not talking about huge and Billy Graham-sized ministries. We're talking about little discernment or apologetics or I think J.D. Hall likes to call what he did polemics ministries. These these ministries would would sometimes really go at each other and I can understand wanting to respond to someone who's attacking you but sometimes it would just be you know I remember one time one time it was and this one was I think James White. J.D. Hall had some I think turf wars with with a few different uh, ministries at various times and and that comes with the territory to some extent if you're involved in this in that world of polemics but But J.D., um, there was this one time, I remember J.D. Hall was, he made a video, I think it was, about James White. And then James White went on to play J.D. Hall's video and respond to it. And as he's on playing J.D. Hall's video and responding to it, J.D. Hall is streaming James White responding to his response of the video. And then I remember on the dividing line, someone informs James White, J.D. Hall is responding to your response. And I was just like, this is like this is so there's so many moving parts like i cannot keep track of exactly what's going on here but uh that's that's just the context in which i knew jd hall it's why i'm bringing this all up that's and so my impression of him wasn't all that great in the beginning um and so there there were some um efforts early on to have some cooperation between people various groups various uh, i didn't even know what discernment ministry was or any of this. I hadn't even heard the term, but I had a, a podcast, or at least I don't remember here having heard the term. I had the podcast, and you know, there was a couple people like us that um, there was an individual who was trying to get us kind of all together in these group chats to kind of cooperate and share information and that kind of thing. Like if we had uh, information, we could all kind of uh, share it together. Uh, maybe and, and there was a f- there was a few people you know in that group who had podcasts or, or outlets you know like um, Protestia and that kind of thing, Pulpit and Pen at the time, and um, and this this was years ago. That group is doesn't exist uh, any longer. But uh, J D Hall was in it, and I just, I remember, um, you know, the interactions in that group. J D Hall was very much J D Hall. That's who he's been. He's when he writes a piece for uh, Pulpit and Pen. And when he when when he's uh, interacting in like a group chat or something, he's like the same person. Like I, and I thought maybe there would be a variation there. Well, I I got it in my head that this was not this was wrong. This was not good. Some of the things I mean, he's being just too harsh, too uh, just saying things sometimes that I just didn't think that there was even uh, at at times uh, there there wasn't a lot of proof for, or that you know I, more so the. Why would you go after that person so hard when you know that, that person is not the false teacher? Why don't you go after this person? Where's the sense of proportion, right? That was kind of my objection, and, and it's dividing people. So I uh, called him up on the phone to confront him, and the response I got shocked me uh, at the time. I was expecting tons of pushback. I was expecting uh, just it, it wasn't going to go well, and he listened to me, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> he he listened, he took it to heart, um, he was sane and rational with me, he gave me some reasons for some of the things he did that I hadn't heard before, and um, I wouldn't say that I stopped being 100% skeptical of, of some of the things that he would do, but I I was I, I realized that there was some humility there that I hadn't seen before, and that I didn't know existed. And then I met JD at a, uh, a conference, and... Um, he struck me. I, I have a. I have someone close to me who has Asperger syndrome, and J.D. Hall reminded me in many ways of that person. And so, when I was interacting with him, I, I could just tell different things. I just things just jumped out with me. His humor, um, it, sort of the lack of sensor proportion, the um, uh, just e- even things like eye contact. There's probably a, a hundred little things that I can't even quantify, but that I can that I sense. And I just, I knew it at the time. I said, this guy, he, he's got that condition. And it made sense of everything to me. It made sense of the, uh, the blog and, and sometimes going after things that I just thought, why is that a priority? But going after it with the same kind of intensity that he might go after something that really was a problem. And And so I think that gave me, and this is is the reason I'm telling you all this, I think that gave me a sense of uh, compassion and understanding that I didn't have before. And that led into um, what happened, uh, well, me platforming him twice on this particular podcast to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention and why he accurately uh, predicted some things that others had not seen. People, I can think of names today, people who are conservatives in the Southern Baptist convention who just are pulling their hair out right now with what's happening. But at the time they would mock JD hall for saying, for, for identifying the obvious and JD didn't, ha- didn't have a problem I- offending people. One of the things if, that I think was in short supply that I learned to appreciate in some ways was he, if something was true, if he had a conviction, he would just say it. It didn't matter what kind of backlash w- there would come to him. He would just say it. And we lack that we lack spines so much in evangelicalism in the Southern Baptist Convention on the conservative side. I'm talking about the anti-CRT side. We lack spines so much. Um, there was a a sense in which some of what JD Hall did when he would expose the false teacher was a breath of fresh air. Let's say he would say, this is false teaching is a false gospel. And you'd have others who, who know better, just reluctant to say it, wouldn't say it. And, um, and so I, I don't remember what the development was, but when there, was a certain, when there were some developments that happened in the SBC, when it was just obvious JD, JD Hall needs some credit here because he's been beating this drum for years and he's seen some things. Like he, Russell Moore's one of them. Like he accurately predicted kind of where Russell Moore was going when people were making fun of him for it. Or they just, uh, people who now see exactly who Russell Moore is. And I thought, you know, I, I think it's to people's benefit, at least to hear how he was able to see this when others weren't regardless of whatever other faults he has, I thought that's valuable. Um, And it's rare. And something that's rare tends to be valuable. And so um, so, so that was, uh, I had him on twice. That was the first time. Second time was over a lawsuit against him because he used, he did not use, he refused to use preferred pronouns. Someone sued him. And I think that's still ongoing, that litigation, because he wouldn't say he wouldn't use uh I think it was a he and he wouldn't who who was knew, biologically a he who's pretending to be a she and he wouldn't call him a her something like that but I had him on to talk about it well he revealed on that particular podcast which and that's the the real reason I had him on uh, more than anything else was to talk about that because I think that's that's a big issue like do we really want to live in a world like this where you're you can be open yourself up to being canceled ridiculed a lawsuit financially ruined just because you are going to stand by truth biological truth biblical truth creative norms and uh and for the lawsuit as i understood it he needed some some money and so i thought well this is um this is an opportunity to to help in this effort and to expose what's happening that this kind of thing is actually happening in the united states well he revealed on that particular podcast that he, in fact, did do, did have Asperger's syndrome, and um and he also talked about the vitamin D deficiency and kind of some of his struggles that were going on. And so uh, that was the last time um, that I I've, I've had any conversation with him. And um, as far as I can remember, there there hasn't been anything really since then. And and so then all this happens. And so the way so so now that you Have all the background uh, for me and how I've kind of viewed JD Hall with a a measure of respect for being able to, for being willing to go out and say some very true things when others were not willing to at personal risk to himself. Um, At the same time, seeing that there's a lack of sense of proportion there and that there's sometimes things that he has, uh, efforts that he's made that I would see as uh, not just fruitless, but uh, unfair, uh, not, not, not even things that should be priorities. Um, I can see those and I can have an honest conversation with him about those. And I think there's a mutual respect, um, there. I think, I think he appreciated that I would come, I I came and talked to him about that and wasn't just going online and blasting him for it. Uh, and because I I don't see any false teaching with them. I don't see, you know, I I don't see, a, a, uh, I, what I see is a guy, though, who who has Asperger's syndrome and doesn't have a sense of proportion. Well, now I'm I'm having to factor into this. Were there things that I was missing? Is it is it a combination of things? Was it the prescription medication that led to some of uh, the behavior that he's somewhat known for in some circles? Um, the vitriol that he gets from others tends to be over tone uh, and uh, the. Uh, the words that he uses, the way he makes fun of other people, that kind of thing. Was, was there also prescription medication involved with this? Uh, is he a stable person? It it, it sounds to me like from, from the recent developments that there's some real issues there that a number of people uh, didn't see. And may, maybe, maybe some did that were closer to him and didn't say anything. I don't really know. I don't have information on that. I wasn't close to him uh, enough to know any of that stuff. But I think the way that we can come down on this is we can still appreciate some of the true things that J.D. Hall says or said over the years. I think we can still do that. Uh, I don't think this reflects necessarily... Um, now, I don't know everyone running protestia. I don't. Um, I, I've i had some conversations with David uh, Morrill there. And he seems. I mean, I just had him on to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention. He seems, from my estimation, the limited... Uh, conversations I've had with him to have a good head on his shoulders and to to see things uh, somewhat the way they are and uh, and they've made the steps they they they've distanced themselves and they've um, put the in, the situation into the hands of the church and they haven't gone past that which is more than I can say I mean other organizations out there uh, that have a a problem with so I mean I'm thinking of even like Al Mohler and Southern Seminary which is infinitely more Damaging when you have actual false teaching and a false gospel and heresy at your seminary, and then you decide, well, I'm just not gonna even we're not gonna even acknowledge that this has even happened. You know, this this is infinitely different than that. You have a character or a moral failing, and you have uh, protestia immediately making a statement on it, and you have the church immediately jumping into action, and that is the way it's supposed to happen. And J D Hall is now out of the limelight. And so I, if he comes back, uh, if, if he wants to get back into this kind of thing, and then I think, yeah, there, there's going to have to be some kind of an explanation There's or uh, a repentance, uh, a um, an admission. There's all that stuff is going to have to take place. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. And that's going to be really between him and the church. And then if, he, if there is an open door there, I don't sense that there is. At Protestia, that's going to be between them. But... As far as I can tell right now, J.D. JD Hall is not in public life anymore. He is, uh, at this point, he is in private life. He has uh, kind of stepped away from this. And I don't think it's fair to then say anyone who ever has a problem with SBC or evangelical elites is just the same as J.D. Hall. Or anyone who ha- ever had an association with J.D. Hall is somehow guilty of J.D. Hall's sins here. Or they promoted someone... Uh, who had these issues. And that's one of the reasons I went through my story here. Just because I have them on the podcast twice. What was my understanding? I've given it to you. That was my full understanding of, of JD. Uh, no knowledge of, um, uh, of any of the things that are coming out right now. And I, and I still don't know to, to what extent and for how long the prescription medication thing was going on. I don't know. But um, if it was, I wasn't aware of it. And, and I don't think most people were. Um, and uh, the people in his local proximity at his church, his good friends, the people who uh, see him in person—you know—they would be the ones if, if it was an ongoing, obvious thing that would know. Um, so, um, so I want to at least acknowledge that I, I do understand. I have had some people messaging me like, "John, are you going to talk about this?" And I, I, I do understand uh, them to, to some extent wanting me to say something or at least acknowledge that this has taken place. Um, I think you know there may be a, a sense behind it of you know John try to warn people to stay away from uh, Protestia or to stay away from JD Hall and the thing is though and that's why I'm saying JD Hall is not in the public limelight. If he was still writing articles and there was no repentance and there's no acknowledgement and this, st- yeah, I would be saying yeah, I would stay away from this guy. Um, there's n- nothing for me to say. Stay away from though. He's not not doing anything publicly that I can tell. And I've already told you what would need to happen, I think, if he was going to try to come back and start writing, uh, at the very least, at the very least, um, not knowing even the full extent of what's taken place. Uh, And I don't want to go beyond what I can confirm. So that's what I can confirm. And that's what I know. But I I certainly don't think that anyone who's ever, you know, had any interaction with J.D. Hall now is uh, is guilty in some sense or. Uh, harbored uh, or su- supported this kind of behavior that we're just finding out about now or something like that. Um, so that's my that's my take on it. And I just encourage you all to pray uh, for this situation uh, as the local church handles it, that it, it would just be a godly process. So the last thing I wanted uh, to share with you And, um, if anyone has questions, you know, write them in the info or the, uh, the comment section and, uh, about any of that. And, you know, if, if I have a chance, I'll try to go back and and read what people have written. And and if there's more that I need to say about any of this, uh, or something that I missed, then, uh, feel free to inform me. Uh, the last thing here though, is, uh, is something that I find to be very encouraging. And, um, it is, let's see if I can pull it up here. We have the technology. Yes. Um, It it is a statement by Rosaria Butterfield. And I downloaded it to try to figure out when this was published. Uh, And the property said July 3rd, 2022. July 3rd, 2022, in the morning. This made its way online. Uh, So this is at rosariabutterfield.com, I guess. Someone just sent me the direct link. And this is what it says. I'm gonna read this for you. Now, Rosaria Butterfield is in the past, well, she's gonna write, tell you some of this, but she talks about like, using, uh, like in her book, gospel uh, comes with a house key, like, um, kind of like identifying who the, 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 in a lesbian or a homosexual relationship, who the husband and wife are and using preferred pronouns. And sh- she's been someone in the past that I've said, like, this is a third way person. Be careful here. I, w- I would stay away. There's gotta be other better resources on hospitality. Um, and, and part of it is due to this, due to, the sort of same-sex attracted Christianity that she seemed to have endorsed at one time, that you could kind of have these these um, uh, desires or this identity in some form, but still be a Christian and and then extend to others who are living in these ungodly relationships. Uh, you, you can grant some of their premises. And this is such a breath of fresh air. I, I can't even tell you. This is, I mean, I... This is what I think so many of us has wanted to see and hear from so many of the quote-unquote Big Eva leaders. And either it's denial that they've ever taken these positions or it's just, it's double down or it's just dismiss. They're like, we're just not going to talk about it, you know, as if it never happened. Well, here Rosaria Butterfield takes responsibility and she has gained so much respect in my mind through doing this. Here's what she says. In 2014, I wrote in the article published by the Gospel Coalition, Repair to Therapy, a heresy is a modern version of the prosperity gospel. Name it, claim it, pray the, pray the gay away. This ranks among the most misguided words I have written as a Christian. Wow. I falsely believe that reparative therapy and conversion therapy were the same things and that they, were harmed. they harmed people by making unbelie- undeliverable promises and blaming parents for their children's problems. I falsely believed that the darkest days of mental health, think electroshock therapy, fell under the umbrella term conversion therapy. When I dismissed reparative therapy as harmful, I was running roughshod over overgeneralizations and failing to distinguish hurt from harm. The game changer for me was reading the work of Dr. Uh, Andre Van Mol, a California family physician. His article in the Christian Medical and Dental Association online journal even failed therapy for undesired same-sex sexuality results in no harm eased my concerns. Highlighting data that the sexual orientation change efforts incurs no harm even when the patient's does not meet intended goals this current study follows up on a 2021 study showing sexual orientation change efforts reduce suicide uh, suicidality this article put my concerns to rest anti-conversion therapy is back in the secular news and for weighty reasons outlawing conversion therapy is canada's bully club we, uh, wielded against the proclamation of the gospel by denying as harmful the biblical witness that homosexuality and transgenderism are sins and that in Jesus Christ there is forgiveness, hope, and transformation. Define Canada's bill, C4, comes with the potential of six years in prison. The stakes are high, and anti-conversion therapy, uh, the moniker for anti-biblical Christianity, is coming to the U.S. And she, by the way, I just got to stop and say, she's accurately depicting this. That's exactly what it is. The whole push from the beginning with anti-conversion therapy was, how do we get these pastors and these Christian counselors, and how do we get them to stop? And this was their way in. Especially troubling is the way that children are the targets when health professionals recommend gender-affirming surgeries and irrevocable hormone blockers to treat gender dysphoria in children. Even the American Psychological Association knows that gender dysphoria in children does not persist through adolescence in most cases, that is, unless hormone blockers interfere with the body's normal functioning. In addition, the number of adults who regret transgender surgeries and are detransitioning is growing, uh, with no one, perhaps except the church, to hear their cries. So what do I believe? And here here it goes. I believe homosexuality and transgenderism are sins, which means their root cause is sin. God's remedy, the atoning blood of Christ, is applied to those who repent and believe in Christ alone for salvation. The gospel compels us to love God and to live in the power of our new nature in Christ. Our new nature in Christ empowers us to die to sin and fight remaining sin. Pastoral teaching is crucial for the Christian, but Christian medical care comes to our aid when our bodies groan with illness and Christian counseling when our minds Ail with trauma and abuse. Christians may work together to help a struggler be victorious in Christ over homosexuality and gender dysphoria. God does not leave his people, defeated by sin and discouraged by facing trauma and illness, alone. Seeking Christian care for mind, body, and soul is a good and godly approach. What do I support? I support freedom and health care, including biblical counseling and change allowing therapy for undesired same sex attraction and gender anxiety. Living in the light of God's natural order is good and right for believers and unbelievers alike, and should not be despised or mistrusted. For those interested, and she she makes some uh, some recommendations here about the politics behind the American Psychological Association's rejecting um, this, uh, therapies, these therapies. Um, and she she gives some recommendations. Um, she quotes a number of Bible verses at the end, and she says, "Please know that please know that through the power of Christ and His gospel, anyone can experience victory over his and." Uh, or her sin. Now this to me is incredible uh, just because we don't see it much. We just don't see it all that much to see someone who at one time made this statement now retract it and go the opposite direction. And I'm just really happy to see it. It does happen. People have asked me at churches, have you ever seen anyone go the opposite direction on social justice? Like they affirmed it in some sense. And the, and, I, and I usually say, I mean, I don't know on it. Like I, I I do, but not on the like a high level, now I can say that I do know someone who at least adopted one element of this and has retracted it. And uh, so good for Rosaria Butterfield. And maybe, maybe she's someone who'd be willing to come on my podcast eventually and talk about this. I'd love that. Um, anyway, hey, God bless. I hope this was helpful for all out there. More coming by now.